0: Hola, buenos dias!
1: Good morning everyone. My name is Alejandra Guerra and I am a sophomore here. Good morning, my name is Yvette Gardenas, and I'm also a sophomore here at GC. This morning we were given the privilege to introduce to you all Ms. Juana Bordas. She is the author of Salsa, Soul and Spirit, Leadership for a Multicultural Age. This is a compelling book that has received endorsements from experts in the leadership field. She is the president of the Mestiza Leadership International in Denver and the vice president of the board of the Greenleaf Center for Servant Leadership. She is also a formal faculty member for the Center of Creative Leadership. She has taught in the Leadership Development Program, which is the most highly utilized executive program in the world. She has also served as an advisor to Kellogg National Fellows and Harvard's Hispanic Journal on Public Policy. Ms. Bordas has been able to connect spirituality, community, and leadership as espoused by Martin Luther King Jr. and other civil rights leaders. She has fashion leadership principles that further the dream of an equal and just society. This is her first visit to Goshen College, and we hope you will accept her unique invitation to join the vision and multicultural dance of our times. Please join us in welcoming Ms. Juana Bordas.
0: Buenos dias. My mother would be very surprised to see me speaking at a Mennonite church, you know. And uh, so, but a girls got to do what a girl's got to do, right? Um, I understand some of you have read my book, and I want to thank you so much for that. Um, this morning, I, I we don't have a lot of time together, you know. It's kind of an Anglo thing to think you can learn something in thirty minutes, you know. Uh, because learning takes time and integration, so I'm going to give you some information and also tell you some stories. And I hope that will ignite in your heart the idea that we're moving into a new millennium. I like to call it the multicultural millennium. It's your millennium. The stuff that I write about, the stuff that I teach about is the age you're going to live in. It's the time when you will step into your leadership. It's the time when you will make a difference. So it's very important for you to understand and at the same time to understand that we are really on a journey that this new age that is awakening today is the result and the history of the people who have come before you. So the first thing I wanted to tell you about is myself because um, you heard this resume right? Well the reason I have such a long resume is because I'm an elder in my community and in communities of color as you get older you are um, revered. and in, in fact, they say, don't say very much until you're 50. Right? And then, then you gain some credibility. But I was born, I'm the little girl in the corner there, I was born in the back hills of Nicaragua. And uh, my, my family, my mother and father had a vision, and their vision was that if they came to the United States, and I understand you have many immigrants here, in this area who had that same kind of vision that if they came, if they, if they sacrificed everything, because my parents sacrificed their families, their country, their language, and the respect that they had in their community because they had been there for generations. And so our immigrants come here, and they and they really are kind of lost in a sense because they've had to leave that all behind, but they have a vision. And second of all, my parents were great leaders. I didn't know that when I was growing up. Because I have made leadership my profession. And when you read about leadership, they don't tell you that the immigrants that are cleaning the hotel where I stayed today are great leaders who have a vision for their children, who have sacrificed, who have stamina, who have belief, who have hope, who have faith that they will be able to accomplish something. So this is a picture of me, my mother, Maria, and uh, six of her eight children. As we were going to get on a banana boat, Uh, From Nicaragua to cross the Gulf of Mexico. And I came to the United States in the hull of a banana boat. We couldn't afford a first class ticket. And my first memory is my brother Cristobal, Chris, saying to me, Quieres un plátano? Do you want a banana? Because it was a banana boat, right? And so we landed in Tampa, Florida, where I grew up. But the main thing that I want you to understand is that you have to understand your past if you want to understand your future. Because your life is like a journey, it's a continuum and as you understand your ancestry, your past and where you came from and the sacrifices that people made so that you could sit here one day and get a college education, only 1% of the world has a college education. So, So that we can understand and build on the power of our past and our ancestry. And I didn't know that. I thought my mother, I was embarrassed, right? Many immigrants are embarrassed. I was embarrassed because my family was poor. Right? Because my mother spoke broken English. And because my mother worked in the school lunchroom cleaning floors and serving food so I could be here with you today. So I could get an education. And there's such strength and power in that. And that's why I today study servant leadership, which I can talk to you about, because so many People are really servant leaders who are serving you and serving uh, their children so they can go to the future. So the first principle I learned as I studied uh, multicultural leadership was the principle of Sankofa, which comes from the African-American community. And Sankofa is a bird, it was started in West Africa, whose feet are facing forward, like you are doing. You are facing forward. You are reaching for the future. But Sankofa says to you, Remember the past. Honor the past. Learn from the past. And we live in a society where that doesn't happen very much, where we end up getting in wars and we end up repeating the mistakes of the past because we don't learn from the past. We don't honor those that came before us. So Sankofa is saying, look towards the future, but remember the past integrate the past, bring forward that which is useful and knowledgeable, bring it into the present, and then move into the future. The past, present, and future are really one continuous stream, a journey that you're on. And so not only your own past do you want to remember, but you want to remember the past of... Ah, the past is a wisdom teacher. Can we all say that together? The past is a wisdom teacher. You will get wisdom from understanding your own past, and understanding the past that we have all lived through. So when I was your age, it was very different. I was um, 19 years old, and I was sitting in my dorm, and I saw my college professor, Dr. Cantor, walking with a group of people to the administration building. He was actually in a demonstration, but I didn't know that because I didn't know what a demonstration was. So I ran up to him. I said, what are you doing? And he said, we are marching to integrate the University of Florida. When I went to college, black people were not allowed to go to college with me. And so I got in line. That's how you become a leader. You get in line. I got in line and the next year two African-Americans came to University of Florida and they would sit on the third floor of the library as you walked in because in those days we used to study in the library. We didn't go on the net. There was no net. And so I would sit there with them for an entire year with this black girl and this black boy, and no one ever sat with us. And when I went to the University of Florida, I never met another Latina. Because like I told you, I'm an elder. This was a long time ago. My generation was the civil rights generation. Your generation has a calling. Your generation will take this movement of civil rights and create the equitable and great society. Martin Luther King said, America has a date with destiny. Our destiny is to create a society where the common welfare, where equality, where justice for all is part of the American fabric. And so we had civil rights in my generation. We had the peace movement because we had the Vietnam War. We, ha- we had the buddings of the environmental movement, which your generation has taken to a new level, the consciousness of the environment, Mother Earth. You know, we had the, uh, Martin Luther King standing up for civil rights and justice. And we had Cesar Chavez leading the huelga or the strike, saying that people who picked the food for your table should have equitable rights and should have a decent wage. So we have to know our history. We have to understand where we have come from, how far we've gotten in order to have the strength to move into the future. The second thing about leadership in communities of color, and I want you to think of these as gifts that our communities give to the American mainstream, is that communities of color are collective cultures, just like the Mennonites. The Mennonites are a collective culture. They believe in community, they believe in family. They believe in taking care of each other. And so too do communities of color, We believe in the power of we. We believe that we have only survived and thrived as human beings because of our parents, because of our ancestors, because of our communities, because of our aunts and uncles, our tios, our tias, those who have nurtured us, your teachers, your coaches. It was never about I. And there's a myth in America about individualism that you make it up by your own bootstraps, that you make it because of your own power. And that's true, but American Indians say, we are like a basket woven together. And yes, each strand must be strong so that the collective, so the basket can be strong. So the power of we, the idea that we together build a good society, that you are being here, you are here because of many people who have nourished you and that have taken care of you. This is Ada Deer, an American Indian, and one of the things I do, by the way, is I've been in the leadership field for over 20 years. And what happened, what, the reason I wrote a book is because all the books that you mainly read about leadership are written by white, Anglo, Eurocentric people, particularly men. And there's nothing wrong with that. I have learned so much from that. But in order to have the mosaic society, you have to hear the voices of all our people. You have to understand the history of all our people. You have to understand the leadership of all our people. Leadership in the United States is so connected to business and management and capitalism that there is no venue for leadership. Leadership is listed under business in America. And yet leadership is about social responsibility, it's about society, it's about community. Ada Deer says, when I was growing up, she grew up on the Mennonite, not the Mennonite, the Menominee, very nice, Mennonite Menominee. The Menominee Reservation in Wisconsin. She grew up, oldest daughter of a large family, no running water, living by a river in a log cabin. And her tribe said, she is very smart and her tribe would pick one person and they would send them to get educated so that they could learn and come back and contribute. And so it was Ada Deer who went to the University of Wisconsin and later became head of the Indian programs there. First Indian woman to run for Congress. First first, uh, tribal chief of her tribe. When I was growing up, it wasn't me, it was we. The family, the tribe, the community, the church. Later, I understood that I wouldn't have survived. We wouldn't have survived as a people if our leaders didn't have that sense of obligation and responsibility to the tribe. What Ada Deer is telling you is that leadership is about responsibility. It's about obligation. It's about taking care of. It's about returning and doing good for the people that you come from. You guys are just sitting there. Come on, I want some... Call and response here. Call and response is when I say something and you like it, you go, oh, yeah. Or you talk about it, sister, or keep on keeping on. You know, I want a little something from you guys. So black people say it this way. They didn't say, I shall overcome. They said, we shall overcome. And that's what the we is. You're not going to do very much on your own. Leadership is all about relationships, about people, about working together, about building community. We shall overcome. Solidarity is the strength, is is the source of our strength and salvation. Solidarity is the source of our strength and salvation. So when you leave here today, I want you to think about that. How can I build that sense of we? How can I build that sense of community? Latinos say it this way. Si se puede. Si se puede. And Obama stole that from us. It means, yes, we can. Si se puede, Si se puede was started by Dolores Huerta, a great Latina leader in the fields who got people that worked in the fields, humble people that picked the fruit and vegetables for your table to believe that they could change things. Si se puede, yes we can, not yes I can. Too much I enough we creates a society where we're the richest country in the world but we got 36 million people living in poverty. Do you want to grow up or live or leave a legacy like that? We have a a society now where CEOs, you know, the the very rich at the top, are making so much money that they can't even spend it in their lifetime. But when I was growing up, that wage gap wasn't like that. In the 1980s, uh, this was only 45 times, which is still pretty good, don't you think, guys? You're going to go out and get a job. And if you could make 45% more than most people, wouldn't you be happy? Yes, we would be happy. <laughs> but no, they're making 241 times more, taking these huge bonuses while they slash your parents' retirement. College students are graduating with an average debt of 19000 Now, I know, I know some of you are playing big bucks to get here, but I want, you to, I want you to know that I worked my way through college. And you can't do that anymore, can you? You cannot earn enough money working to be able to pay for your college education. And yet the the Negro College Fund says a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Don't we want to live in a country where every child's potential, intelligence, and do you know that there's countries in the world where that happens? Even in Mexico, which is a poor country, if you can get in the university, you're going to get an education. right? Sweden, China, and they're going to pass us up if we don't educate our youth. Forty-six million people don't have health insurance. Now, we know there's a health bill, and we're hoping that's going to change. How can we have a great society if our people don't have health? Too much I and not enough we. People who are hungry cost Americans $90 billion a year. We could eliminate that problem. We could eliminate homelessness for less than it costs for us to have a society that has the, that, kind of, uh, that kind of runoff. So we have a growing gap between the rich and the poor. One in five children grow up in poverty. One in four children live in a household on food stamps. There's a growing gap between the rich and the poor. We have the highest poverty rate of any country in the world. And guess what? It's your generation that has to fix that. (laughs) Seriously. Seriously. Be thinking about this. Because you're going to be coming into leadership. You're going to be in, in charge of doing something about this society. And, and when I was growing up, I want you to know we didn't lock our doors, even though I lived in an urban area. I lived in Tampa. I never saw a homeless person until I was in my 30s and went to San Francisco. It didn't used to exist, do you understand? So you have to understand that past, you have to understand where we are now, and you have to have a vision of a different society that we can have. And and I want to stop here a little bit to um, talk about the Mennonites. And can somebody, I forgot my iPhone to get the time, so I have an iPhone. I'm a high-tech Aztec. Huh? 15 more minutes. I'll tell you what, when you think I'm done, raise your hand. <laughs> so, before you were born, I was working in the barrios of West Denver. I was the medical social worker at the health clinics for the city. It was called Mariposa Health Clinic, which means the butterfly. And I had already become a feminist because I went to graduate school at the University of Wisconsin. But before I went to graduate school, I'm going to tell you something I did that was really important that set me on my path to be where I am with you today. When I finished college, I joined the Peace Corps. I said to my soul, or my soul said to me, that I had to give back for this incredible opportunity that I'd been given that I had to repay this country, that I had to learn my culture because my culture had been stripped from me because I grew up in a time when to be successful you had to assimilate. And I wanted to reconnect with myself. And so I went to South America and I served in Chile. I did microenterprise work, although we didn't call it then. that then. I did co-ops with women. But the important thing about that, and those of you that do your service here at the Mennonite uh, College, is that my decision as a young person, the very first thing I decided to do with my life was to serve. And if you make that decision, you know, servant leadership says, I will, I will serve. You become a leader because as you serve, as you learn, as you grow, you get the opportunity to serve at a higher and higher level. But the most important thing is to make that decision. I am here to serve. So I came back from the Peace Corps. I'd already become a feminist because I then went to the University of Wisconsin to get a graduate degree. And I'm working in the Badios, and I get a call from the Mennonite minister. And we want to praise his name, but I don't remember it. (laughs) (laughs) His first name was Bryce. I think it was Balmer, but... I was told that's not a Mennonite name, but he was wonderful. And this church is wonderful. It's right across the street from the largest Hispanic school in Colorado with the lowest income of any school in Colorado. And they're very service oriented. So he says to me, Juana, there's this group of daycare mothers, and they want to get together and start a center, because they want to learn like their children are learning. Now, you all always pay attention when you get a call like that, right? That's somebody calling you, that's spirit calling you, that's your future calling you. That's your purpose and your passion calling you. So I went down there, and Bryce had this group of Baker mothers, and I brought some professional women. But we weren't professional I mean, I didn't grow up professional. it just happened, right? And we started a center, and the Mennonite Church lent us a room in the basement so we could start this center for women. And the women wanted GED classes and they wanted English as a second language and they wanted employment. And pretty soon there were so many people at the men of my church that they kicked us out. Not really. <laughs> but we had to rent a house. The name of the organization is Mikasa Women's Center. And now it's called Mikasa Resource Center because we believe that we're living in an age where it's men, women, children, community, not just women that have to advance. Mikasa today is 33 years old. Mikasa Today has a $4 million budget. Mikasa Today has served millions of women, youth, and and people in our community. And it happened because a Mennonite minister was inspired enough to call. So let's hear it for Bryce. Come on, let's give a hand here. Which is another thing about understanding your life as a path is that you may do something today, and it may be very small, but it's going to grow. You know, it's going to grow. It's going it's to get bigger. So the things you do may not seem significant when you do them, but if you do them with, with a consciousness of service, if you do it to, to help people, the thing eventually will get a life of its own and continue to grow. All right, there's a second thing that you learn here. Oops, we've got to get it back. A second thing that you learn here, which is the third principle in communities of color, the first one is remember your past. And by the way, Dia de los Muertos is coming up. Does anybody know about that? I put up my mother and my father my grandmother, and trust me, they're still here. If I do anything that goes against what my mother taught me, I hear about it. And uh, African Americans believe that. <clears throat> that uh, their past is, 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 is with them, that the reason they have so much strength and, and, and uh, stamina and ability is because they have overcome, right? They've overcome slavery and oppression and, 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 uh, and racism. American Indians say, my, my ancestors walk with me. So that's one. Number two is that we're collective, that you always have to be thinking about we and not I. That the I will grow, but in, in service to the We. And the third one is generosity of spirit and that's why you should be so proud to be in this college that's teaching you that you don't need a lot of money to be happy. I happen to live in the nicest house I've ever lived in, so I think I'm rich, right? That wasn't easy when you grew up, I mean that wasn't hard when you grew up in the Barrio, by the way, but I do have a really nice house and my car's paid for and I can do whatever I want within reason, right? And I have had a wonderful life. And you will have a wonderful life. You don't need tons of money. And yet, in the, in the dominant culture, success is measured by how much money you have. When they say, how much are you worth, they're not talking about your values. They're talking about how much money you have in your bank account. You should say, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Correct? And yet, in the Latino culture, for example, you see those women having a good time? That's because one of our sayings is, Siempre puedes poner otra agua agua en la sopa, or echa agua al caldo. You can always put another cup of water in the soup. You're always going to have enough to go around. Latinos say, mi casa, su casa, that it's more rewarding to share and to have people in your life and to have love and community and family than to have a lot of money. So in communities of color, we believe that generosity, that taking care of the collective, is where you get your power, it's where you get your satisfaction in living. So don't be too concerned about your paycheck. You'll be okay. You're living in the richest country in the world. Be concerned about the quality of your relationships. And as Martin Luther King said, we are prone to judge success by the index of our salaries, the size of our automobiles, rather than the quality of our service and relationship to humanity. So you may not believe me, but you'll really be happy if you have good relationships. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. We are tied in a single garment of destiny because injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. So Martin Luther King's talking about the we there, that we're all connected three principles of leadership I want you to walk away with is one, that leaders are one among equal. That we're all leaders and that no one's better than anyone else. That we all are leaders. Number two, that we are here to create certain kinds of values in society. Public values like justice, equality, the common good, pluralism, which means respect for all people regardless of where they come from. And finally, that we should be stewards, community stewards, and servant leaders. And these are the three principles that have guided communities of color through the 500 years since this country was established. We're doing good. So this is Raul Eseguerre. Can we say that together? Raul on. (laughs) Raul just became the ambassador to uh, the Dominican Republic. Raul is considered, he was born in Texas during the time when the restaurants said, no Mexicans, no dogs. Couldn't even eat in the same restaurants with white people. And Raul came out of the barrios and the valley of, of Texas and became the great organizational builder of the uh, Hispanic community. Hispanics, and you've got to come this evening because I'm going to tell you all about it, were only declared a minority in the 1980s. So before that they really didn't have a sense of identity and a sense of uh, power because we come from 22 different countries. So Raul came out and started building um, National Council of La Raza and some of the great organizations that now exist. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about him because he's very much like a Martin Luther King in our community. Now what Martin Luther King said about the leader is equal, he said, anybody can be great because anybody can serve. Say that with me. Anybody can be great because anybody can serve. He said you don't really need a college degree, you don't need good grammar, you don't need a lot of money, everybody can serve. So he was talking about the leader is equal. When you have the leader is equal, the leader is a servant. It's servant leadership. And servant leadership levels the playing ground. Like I said, my mother was a servant leader. Your teachers are servant leaders. They are trying to empower and teach and grow you so you can have a better life. The servant leader is concerned about the effect on the people that they work with or or that they lead. Second of all, leadership in communities of color is conferred on you. It is given to you. It's like being anointed or being a minister. In the Anglo community, you can be president or you can have a position or a title and that makes you a leader. In communities of color, and in reality in all groups, leadership is given to you by people because of your example, because you walk your talk, because you serve, because you set the, the values, you, you live the values that people aspire. So it's conferred on you because of your character and how you, and how you act. So this is um, Raul talking about the leader among equal, He says, Latinos treasure values such as faith and hard work, which can be found in many cultures. But there is also a sense of humility, of courtesy, and honesty that means a truly complete human being. Which What he's talking about is if, if you rise to the sense of leadership, treats everybody the same, whether you're the CEO, the maid cleaning the room, The custodian at your college, make sure you know their name, and you say hello to them, and you thank them for keeping this place as beautiful as it is. You thank the gardener, you talk to people when you're in a taxi, everybody is respected at the same amount. Nobody is put above others. And isn't that what spirituality teaches you, right? That we're all brothers and sisters. This is Frederico Pena, the great mayor of Denver, who turned Denver around. That's where I'm from. That's where I live now. And he says, when leaders are consistent and treat everybody the same, when everyone knows what the rules are and the leader follows their own rules, people will follow the leader to the end of the earth because they have faith and confidence, because they believe in them, because they walk their talk. What Federico is saying, when he wanted to, to uh, do something about the pollution in Denver, he took the bus to work. See what I'm talking about? You can't be saying to people, you know, we've got we to have this fundraiser and then you leave and you don't, you don't lick the stamps and put the envelopes together and do the list or work on the database. Leaders always do everything with their followers to set the example. And so, too, as you grow into your leadership, you want to be able to do that. <clears throat> the greatest definition of leadership that I have ever heard comes from LaDonna Harris, a Comanche that lives in New Mexico and has a leadership program for American Indians. She says, leadership is a communal responsibility. We are all responsible for leadership. So just shake the hand of the person next to you and say, we are all responsible for leadership. (laughs) We are all responsible for leadership. We are all responsible for leadership. All right. leadership is a communal responsibility with a concern for the welfare of the people, the tribe, the college, your dorm area, your friends. You are responsible for the collective. And then sharing the work that needs to be done based on skills and ability. So we share the work. That's what makes it easy. That's what makes it the we. We all do it together. Now here's her definition. Leadership is shared responsibility and promoting people's well-being. So we're going to say that together. Leadership is shared responsibility and promoting people's well-being. Now isn't that perfect? Short, gets at the we, gets at the social responsibility of leadership, and gets at the fact that real leaders elevate people. You're going to be better, you're going to be stronger, you're going to be more autonomous, you're going to be more yourself when you come face-to-face with a leader who empowers you. And as you empower each other, we can all reach that potential. Martin Luther King said it very easily. He said, life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? And the Bible says, you know, that the more we serve, the more we grow, the more you give, more comes back to you, right? It's a law of nature, right, that that what you give out comes back to you. So as you serve, you grow. You become powerful. Life's most persistent question is what are you doing for others? um, Cesar Chavez used to start all of his meetings with the farm workers' prayer. And what I want you to get is that in communities of color, social activism, social responsibility is connected to leadership, is connected to your faith, just like in the Mennonites. It's connected to your faith. He would say, God, grant me the courage and honesty and the patience to serve. Be in service there is life. So say that to another person. In service there is life. In service there is life. And Chavez, who was a simple man, never took more money than the average farm worker. Martin Luther King refused to move uh, from his home at the Abernathy community in the church that he served. They knew that greatness comes from service. Cesar Chavez also summed this all up very easy. How do you do spirituality and social responsibility? When he was leading the strikes for the farm workers, he said, we're going to pray a lot and we're going to pick it a lot. Right? We're going to pray a lot, and we're going to pick it a lot. We're going to have that center, but we're going to be active in creating the good society. Andrew Young, the great civil rights leader who marched with Martin Luther King, he said he grew up that way. In my family, faith, education, when you're getting now, were intertwined with the commission to serve others. Faith, education, and serving others. From those to whom much has been given, much will be expected, right? And you, so you're giving this gift of a college education, and much will be expected. <clears throat> American Indians have a rule of leadership; it's called the seventh generation rule. And this is a picture of a, a program that I run called the Circle of Latina Leadership. It's an intergenerational program. The woman on the the older woman on the on your right is Lena Archuleta, the first Hispanic woman principal in Denver has a library and a school named after her, and the one on her left is Dr. Martha Uroste, the mother of Montessori education, which is an education that really works well with children of color. And the young girls behind them are 25 to 35, and they're in this leadership program where they have mentors that are in mid-career, and they have these madrinas, or these older women that they're following. The Iroquois Indians said, in every decision, the great leader takes into account their children, their children's children, their children's children's children, and unto seven generations. The continuity. They said, look back and look forward. And if we had a society that had that kind of vision about your future, things would be very, very different. If we had leaders that we're saying social responsibility must be that we prepare our youth for the future, things would be very different, right? And so communities of color, who through centuries have only made it to where we are today, have always had that idea that collectively we must raise up the next generation, that we must be part of this, To make the world a better place. To leave that legacy. There's different ways communities say this. And I want to give you a few. And when I do my workshop this afternoon, we'll really work on it. This is it. This is good. Of course, in Christianity, we say our father, right? Let's say it. Our father. That means we are brothers and sisters. That means we are we. American Indians say father, son, mother, earth, we are all relatives. Ubuntu comes from Africa, and it's part of the philosophy of African Americans, and Ubuntu means I am only a person because of other people. Ubuntu means that, cl- that we together have nourished and made ourselves who we are. So let's say Ubuntu. I am only a person because of other people. Inca- in Laquech, which was from the Mayans in Mexico, and many of you that are Latinos or Mexicans, you don't know this, but you got Mayan blood. The Mayans said, in Caltech, I am another yourself. You and I are really the same person. We have spirit within us, and we're united. And then in the Caribbean coast of Nicaragua, I want you to put your hands to your heart. The Indians of the coast of Nicaragua say... say Kumpia kume, say it, kumpia kume. We are one heart, we are one heart. And so as you come to the the concepts of communities of color which are so in sync with the teachings of the Mennonite church, which understand the purpose of community and service and oneness, understand that social responsibility and spiritual responsibility are really one, I congratulate you for being here at this university and having the opportunity to learn and understand what you will need to do in order to really have a future that makes the world what we really can create, together and collectively. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Ms. Bordas, for your informative and engaging presentation. Now, we invite you to continue the conversation with Ms. Bordas at a 4 p.m. workshop in Newcomer 17 and the celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month at 7.30 p.m. and the Fellowship Hall. Gracias y que tengan un buen día. You're dismissed.